Welcome to the Transit Matters Podcast, episode 22. Today is Monday, January 11th, 2016. Transit Matters Podcast is the show where we talk about critical analysis of transportation issues in greater Boston. Transit Matters advocates for fast, frequent, reliable, and effective transit. And uh, we're here. I am Jeremy Mendelson. I am uh, one of the co-founders of Transit Matters and a board member and the advocacy director. Um, I am a transit planner and geographer and... Uh, I do this, I do a lot of transit stuff, and I'm kind of obsessed with it. <laughs> and I'm Mark Abunia. I'm our communications and social media manager. Uh, by day, I'm an IT systems administrator, and by night, I am the Leslie Nope of transit, and this has changed, geeking out over transit celebrities, governance, policy, and civic engagement. I'm Josh Fairchild. I'm a board member here at Transit Matters. Uh, I do work as a lawyer, but in my free time, I like to enjoy my passion for improving communities through better development and infrastructure, specifically with regards to transit and transportation networks. Hi, I'm Jared. I'm the newest board member here at Transit Matters. I'm from Oklahoma City by way of Houston and Cincinnati, and I work on community revitalization efforts with AmeriCorps, and my passion is where equity, transit, and housing meet. Cool. So today we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk a little bit about fares first, and then we're going to talk about some uh, other related things, things related to governance and uh, other things. Mark has uh, has made a field trip this weekend. So. We went to uh, I went to D.C. Uh, well, actually, technically it was Arlington uh, for D.C. transportation camp over at the uh, GWM uh, George Washington Mason George Mason George, George Mason, Mason University George Mason University I uh, yeah I <laughs> too many universities with the name George in yeah there. George. Um, Bye, so, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll do a quick recap on on what's going on with the fare changes uh, and yeah let's let's kick that off can you can you mark to, to start out if you know off the top of your head when is the um, the Northeast um, transportation camp New England transportation camp. It's April ninth. It's April ninth. That's right. And then there's a bunch of new transportation camps going on. So if anybody who's listening has never heard of transportation camp, and it sounds like something fun, uh, it has nothing to do with camping. Uh, <laughs> so that was uh, that was actually something that uh, we met a few people who had never done transportation camp. Wait, before. wait, wait. No, no campfire, no s'mores. No. Uh, <laughs> but actually, we were in D.C. when I was in D.C. Uh, D.C. proper at Navy, Navy Yards. Uh, there, they moved the USDOT uh, headquarters over to a building that has an adjacent empty dirt lot. And the joke was, you know, maybe we could hold transportation camp there where you literally have to build the camp and it's a team building exercise and an icebreaker. And, uh, <laughs> but it would be a sad um, allegory for the state of transportation, having to do transportation camp with a literal camp across the street from the new USDOT headquarters. So, um, so the New event. England camp is when? Oh, yeah, April sorry, 9th? April, na- a- April 9th. And it's going to be at MIT uh, right here where we're recording right now. Uh, well, not in this building. We're in the <laughs> Walker Memorial Building uh, at the headquarters of WMBR. Uh, it is actually going to be at the MIT Status Center, and you can find out more information at transportationcamp.com. Com? org org dot org <laughs> so anyway so. let's talk about uh, let's talk a little bit more about some uh, Boston specific things um, although it's not completely uh, this stuff goes on everywhere um, the MBTA after much discussion has uh, released proposals for a fare increase um, I love the signs that are uh, in the stations that say MBTA fare proposal give us your comments it's like no this is a fare increase just let's just let's just say that um, there has been a lot of discussion lately over whether the T is going to whether the T is allowed to raise the fare is five percent or ten percent, and there's this whole scuffle. And I don't know, I'm going to ask Josh's opinion of this later, or uh, unless he's ready to give it now, um, on on this whole legislative nonsense around the fares. Um, but but basically, the T is, has put forward these proposal to raise the fare is an average of about 6.7%, and, and uh, option two is an average of about 9.7%. Um, and they uh, and then to raise the pass prices more than that, um, they have there is one notable decrease here um, in the cost of the outer express bus fare um, is going to now match the cost of the inner express bus fare, which means a 24% decrease. Um, but for everything else, um, just looking at the document here, um, the adult rapid transit fare is proposed to go from 210 to 220 or 225, and the uh, bus fare from $1.60 to $1.70 or $1.75. Um, those are approximately, you know, in the range of, well, they're, they, the ranges vary. Um, 
But they also, you know, we're talking about raising the youth pass and uh, combining that with the student pass. And there are a bunch of other things here. Um, the commuter rail fares are all would all be rising as well into this proposal. There, there don't appear to be any changes in the commuter rail zones. Um, so this, you know, gets really technical and, you know, a lot of people might be interested in their specific fare. But, you know, we want to think a little bit more general, generally here and um, and think about, I mean, you know, to me, what's, what's coming here, um, even aside from this whole legislative thing and, you know, the, the fact that we haven't funded transit adequately over the years is, you know, what I hear when I talk to people is, is everybody says, you know, we, we have the same lousy service that is declining. Um, you know, the population has gone up 10%, and I would say the ridership has gone up 30% since 2004 on the major lines, and we have seen no significant changes in the service. Actually, it's actually worse because the travel times on the buses have gotten longer, so the buses can't do as many trips. So it's actually there's actually been a decrease in service levels um, at the same time. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, okay, you know, we're going to have a fare increase. Like, what do we get for that? And there's a lot of outrage. And so I wanted to dig a little deeper and see what you guys had to think about some of these issues. Can you? Can I ask one question? Um, so you, you were just talking about the increase of ridership. When I read some of the literature that comes out of the Financial Management Control Board, um, it usually says that ridership has slightly declined, maybe? Yeah, so I asked the T about this and in the T, the T service planning department. And um, and they say what the T has always said, which is that ridership is, is basically through the roof. Um, anybody who takes a service knows that, you know, it's through the roof. Um, you know, <laughs> Jared is nodding, which is which is funny because you, I mean, you've probably seen this in your time here that it's increased. Uh, the trains but, aren't getting any yeah. emptier. <laughs> but, I mean, those of us, you know, came in 2003, like, in, you know, when I, well, when I came here in 2003, I mean, you know, you could you could get on the bus and the train. I mean, it was crowded, but it was, you know, now it's just at the level where it's the, the green line literally, like the ridership is literally flat because it literally cannot increase anymore. Um, and so, you know, when I asked the T about this, they said, you know, yes, it is increasing. And the T is on the record a million times saying it's increasing. Um, but the control board keeps saying the costs are rising while ridership is flat. So we don't have an explanation. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. They're, they're not answering that question. I've asked them specifically, and they're just not saying anything. I wonder if they mean revenue is flat. or Maybe. Um, I but I don't – there's a difference between ridership and revenue as well, you know, because when you look at the different types of fares – and, you know, for example, a commuter rail is going to bring in a lot more revenue than, than the bus. And the subway brings in more, more um, or has a higher fare recovery ratio, I should say. The, more, more, uh, the fares cover a higher percentage of the costs. Um, you know, and this is, this is true of the operating costs in the subway. Because the subway has its own right-of-way. The bus sits in traffic. Um, commuter rail is pretty fast, and it charges higher fares. So there's, you know, reasons. So revenue and ridership are not necessarily the same thing. Uh, the T has right now about a 40% overall fare recovery ratio. Um, which is pretty good in the transit industry. I mean, the transit industry is generally anywhere between 20 and 50%. Yeah. 50% would be like New York City subway. Well, uh, Chicago, last I heard, was the highest with uh, like 54% or something for recovery ratio. Wow. Uh, but, you know, fare box recovery ratio is not, I don't know, there was even a session, I think, at uh, transportation camp that fare box recovery ratio isn't a good way to dis- to you know, to say, oh, yeah, your transit system is more efficient or not. Um, and it, those Chicago numbers don't incorporate their commuter rail I actually do don't know. I need to go they back have to the agencies. I, I, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't think that's so. right. Yes, yeah. so, so this is an issue that we've had before. Yeah, there we go. The comparisons, you know, when they when they come out and they say, oh, you know, our costs are so much higher than than uh, you know, or or the uh, you know the, the fare box recovery is so much lower than Chicago, and it's like, well, what are you comparing? Are you comparing the CTA, which runs the subways in Chicago, right. subways and uh, buses? You're not including the suburban bus and the commuter rail. Yeah. Right. I mean, how does that work? So. And, and doesn't run trolleys with 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 two operators in them? And know? they have yeah. all the same rolling stock. And, you know, they have multiple, but they have all the same rolling stock and multiple yards and, you know, their sister trains, their newer trains, their infrastructure scales. Uh, and they also have a lot of uh, direct support from uh, from the city city government because they are like basically Chicago is massive and they basically just serve Chicago. Uh, but. Yeah. Well, if I could ask another question to continue to be sort of the devil's advocate in the room, um, because this is also something you've probably seen um, at the control board meetings, Jeremy, is sort of expertly propaganda. Uh, I don't know, we don't call them newspaper propaganda, I guess, but um, mm-hmm. we've been seeing articles coming out at the same time as they've announced the numbers for their proposed uh, fare increases. We've seen numbers come out about how, oh, well, and, you know, the um, 
the the employees are about to get another raise and they're the most highly compensated transit employees in the country and they've got this squirrely system where they're able to um, take days off in a week and then come back and still get overtime pay you know in the same week even though they didn't work 40 hours yet now i don't understand uh, you know all those things but we're hearing those things at the same time it seems to be coming out at a at a at an interesting uh, and pivotal time as far as talking about fare increases but what can what can i know you're the operational guy what do you have to say about yeah, I mean this, composition. this this drives me crazy because it's it's this you know <laughs> we we heard that the control board was going to be is going to be visionary and they're going to take a big look and you know be innovative and you know we're hearing the same stuff we're hearing this you know we need a hiring freeze we need to cut you know we need to look to get people to pay more you know we're hearing these same things and and one of these same tropes that we hear over and over again is is oh let's bash the workers you know the workers are overpaid and you know and I've anybody's followed me on Twitter and Facebook in recent days you see you know I've, I've get into a bunch of arguments about this because you know people love to say oh we you know we pay our workers so much and and the control board put out this data that says that the hourly wage the mean hourly wage for MBTA employees um for, or the was it the uh, yeah the mean hourly wage for MBTA employees is like the highest in the country is $35 an hour well if you actually take a look $35 an hour is actually the top hourly wage which like only like the 23 year veterans get and that's like double time or something like that. It was like it was something like just so off the chart and it just it just goes to this point that there's like there's sort of an intent to myopically um, analyze the numbers and twist them in a way that shows that there's some inherent to reinforce to do to to feed into the negative bias and the the people who are looking for something to be wrong with the t to say aha that's the smoking gun that's that there is something wrong with the system and i'm sorry (laughs) yeah i mean this is well this is the point that i was making about the globe and i said that you know even if so the people say oh the globe is you know globe's not a right wing you know they're just reporting with the board and it's like no it's like when you say this stuff it gives ammunition to the people who want to bash the workers, who want to do, you know. And when you, the when you comment section, not to say that we don't example, want to yeah. criticize. <laughs> I mean, you know, there are clearly there are clearly systematic system, mm-hmm. systemic problems. Uh, but I mean, is, is it enough to just simply leave it at, you know, oh, these are the highest top paid workers, and they all got all you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in annual wages because of overtime. Uh, and yeah, well, I mean, let's yeah. look at the overtime real quick. I mean, I feel like I'm I'm ranting a little bit here, yeah. but I, you know, I mean, in, t- in terms of in terms of actual facts, uh, you know, when we look at the overtime and the the control board said, you know, we're paying a lot of overtime. There's they put out a couple facts where they said that the that there was one one employee who made three hundred fifteen thousand dollars and he worked like four thousand some odd some odd hours in uh, which comes to like eighty five hours a week. Yeah, um, in twenty fifteen. And they said um, the the other point that they they made um, is escaping me right now, but basically. When you look at the overtime of from from 2015, you see you see a couple things. You see, first of all, um, we had an epic winter last year, if anybody remembers. So, you know, we I don't had and, and in, in Cambridge talked about how they spent like double what they usually spend on yep. snow removal operations. Um, and so, in the T, you know, it spent obviously a lot more, and they that means that they need people to work. So what they have to do is they have to call people in overtime, and because if the work's going to get done, it's going to get done in overtime. Yeah, there were so there in were, particular, this yeah. person who made three hundred fifteen thousand dollars in twenty fifteen. He when when during that whole you know epic snowstorm business, you know for like a month, like he didn't go home, and it's like when when you when you think of something like that, um, you know that th- that you're asking it's like extreme sacrifice from people, and then you're going to go and vilify them. And and the other thing is that this is like a chronic problem with the tea. Like obviously you're not going to staff for that kind of snowstorm all the time, but the tea has been in and out of the cycle of hiring freezes right. for the pa- at least the past ten years, and they have fewer staff than they did when I started in 2006. And so when you are not allowed to hire people, and you want the work to get done, you hire on overtime, and they don't even have a cover list. Like they don't have they they should have what's a cover list? A cover list. So a cover list or an extra board or spare you know a number mm-hmm. of things is basically. When you know you're running an essential service and you need those trips to go out, and the fire department has this, schools, everybody has this. Um, you know, where you have this staff, or this group of people who are, are trained to be bus drivers or maintainers or whatever, and they they go in, and if everybody shows up for work and everything's great, then they do some other you know non-critical task. But they can be called on at any second to go and oh, you have to go take this bus over here, or you got to go do that because somebody called out sick or whatever, you know. And they don't have that, so they pay overtime. And when you when you look at if you just want to crack down on overtime, you want to say, "Oh, we're going to stop spending overtime," you got to get a lot of drop trips. What you really need to do is look and see how do we staff the T's operations, and you know what are 
what is causing what has caused this situation and what you know and when you just say oh people are abusing the i had somebody tell me oh people are abusing the fmla and abusing uh, sick time and it's like there's no evidence of the conclusion the conclusion (laughs) that a lot of people jump to is oh he's getting a lot of overtime but is that is he really working during that overtime Right, and that's yeah. like it's like how he's do you, just you don't know that he's just yeah. standing around in the yard and just kind of pointing at trains and saying that's a train, that's a train, that's a train. <laughs> uh, y- yeah, I, I well, we hear about we hear about this happening with police and, and fire um, firefighters and police officers also. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, mm-hmm. it's not like this is the, the only place we ever hear this, but I, it, it definitely makes sense that if <clears throat> you're going to drop, you're going to decrease your staff, and then everyone who fills that hole is getting paid time and a half, then obviously you have more outlay in salary yeah. or compensation, um, even though you cut back on your staff. But I guess the question I'm trying to get at is, in some of the recent articles, it hasn't been clear to me as to whether we're talking about their standard hourly compensation or we're talking about their hourly compensation plus their overtime divided by the hours worked. That's a good question. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Because um, I wasn't sure, because yeah. I know that there's they have um, collective bargaining um, a right to an increase um, that's coming up this year, and I think they had you know something similar to that last year, and you know that's all that's all fine and well. But I guess I'm just wondering if we drill down. I mean, this maybe should be my project now is find <laughs> out like the, the standard hourly rates that people are paid is is that you know industry leading or is it just when we factor in the fact that they had overtime? Well, and, and I and, and I don't I don't know that that's that they that that they want us to necessarily have all that context. I mean, I, I think one something that's interesting from a p- political standpoint and, and the messaging standpoint of this is, you know, these articles are being put out to to kind of, you know, prove, um, you know, to prove, you know, certain political leaders' points that, you know, that the T shouldn't get, uh, you know, taxpayer money and shouldn't, you know, get support from the Commonwealth until they get their financial, you know, house in order. But I think what's interesting is, um, you know, the FMCB has no problem going and asking uh, the writers to, uh, to pony up more money when, you know, w- whether you agree with them or not, the T's fiscal house is in order. So I, I, I think that's yeah. that's something that that you know might m- might backfire. So you know we'll see how how this this round of engagement goes with the uh, uh, yeah. with the fair increase meetings. I'm 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 a little bridging it back to the because you mentioned the FMCB, the financial control and uh, financials, fiscal and, and management fiscal control and board. Fiscal I can never get <laughs> can never get that right. Uh, I um is. I mean, they are they are they have just getting uh, they are just getting started on their work, and they do have some number of time, some amount of time as 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 authorized to the to the power of the the, the, the authorizing legislation for the group to get something done. And I, I tweeted about this on the on the Transit Matters Twitter account, and you know, got a little bit of uh, traction. The, the the concept that we need to break the cycle. Where do we break that cycle and say, okay? The costs are increasing, and we have a lot of overtime. Um, clearly, some of it has to do with staffing inefficiencies, and it's only going to get worse. Some of uh, J- Beverly Scott, uh, during her tenure, reminded us that a lot of her staff is going to be up for retirement or retiring within the next five to ten years. How are we going to backfill the the volume of staff on both op- on the operations side and the back end o- back office side? How are we going to fill that up? Um, and if we can't, is that just going to be even more of a death spiral for the T? Uh, I don't know. Discuss. As the, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to blow this up too far beyond uh, beyond overtime. But again, bridging that back to the larger concept that that we have been give, we have been forcing the T to operate on austerity for a while with with. Uh, hiring freezes how where where does where does the cycle end where do we where do we say okay we've we've done x y and z and we've done all of this investigative reporting on what the t is doing wrong now how do we fix this we're unfortunately mark i think we're in for at least a decade uh, it, i think near, the near term is if you want to call it near term is 2020 mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. mean if we're talking about a lot of the operational escalation in costs, and they want to compare this to other agencies that don't have the same operational problems that we have. But if we're talking about operational costs continuing to go up, a lot of it is attached to um, state of good repair issues and and capital assets that are past their life. So, mm-hmm. you know, red line cars that are fifty years old, and you and, can't fix that through the operating well, budget. Well, and the problem is they didn't order the new cars until twenty thirteen. They yep. won't be here until twenty eighteen through twenty twenty. Actually, the majority of them are getting here in twenty twenty. That's assuming no delays, which we always have delays. So let's say like 21, 2021, 2022, we've got all new cars. 
then you start to see, I think, some opera- some pullback on the operational expenditures. But that's not even that's also assuming that we're handling all the power upgrades that we need, or all the power patching and the signals and all those things. And if we're not able to, you know, it's a seven billion dollar backlog in state of good repairs. And mm-hmm. so it's sort of like, how long does that take? And I think what I think what they had said was fifty years if there was no increased. Because that, that's dependent on the legislature every year saying, yes. okay, we're going to give you an extra $500 million this year or whatever it is. Because if the if the gap that we're seeing every year, which I think is around $270 million for this year, and you're projecting at least that much next year, if the legislature just fills that gap, well, that's not helping us with the state of good repair backlog. Yeah. So so let's say this, the legislature instead gives us $500 million, and so that's you know an additional $200 million over right. what's absolutely required. Even that takes a long time to chip away at the seven billion dollar backlog. Because then oh. you because then you start getting into the pro- when you're talking about capital assets and how it's tied back to operations, the operational costs. We we just got out of this conversation maybe a, I don't know two or three years ago when we were rebalancing and recalculating the uh, the debt service. If we increase, so if we talk about, if we even talk about or even want to touch the idea or play with the idea that we're going to have any sort of capital investment increase in the next, I don't know, lifetime, uh, are we also talking about uh, money that's coming out of some sort of new bonding structures or are we just going to be adding to the capital debt that the MBTA then also itself has to pay off through operating costs which just keep getting higher on all sides i don't know that they've thought about any of this there's some more uh not so great news today about um and this is i think this is part of that seven billion dollar backlog that 3.7 billion uh, is needed for new subway cars trolleys and buses and mm-hmm. they've only got uh 1.6 billion of that and so i don't know that they've even that, that that conversation has really been had and i think that's i think that's what's so upsetting about the the fare increase conversation you know we know that fares have to go up you know or or we know that that fare increases for, sorry have to be part of the conversation but i think what gets people upset is th- that there's no conversation about um any more creative solutions there's no conversation about where the state of um you know state of good repair backlog is going to come from because you know they're talking about you know uh, on the high end you know maybe something like what 200 million from from fare increases? No, it's like twenty five. No, no. Oh, sorry, sorry, twenty five, twenty five million out of a seven billion dollar backlog. I, I mean, that you know, that I think that's that's part of why people are so upset because there's no creative uh, thought as to how we're going to tackle this because yeah. uh, you know an extra twenty five, extra thirty thirty million isn't going to do you know anything in the grand scheme well, of things. It closes it closes an, an operational funding gap, but it doesn't buy new buses. Well, yeah, yeah and I think I think we should. T- I'll be the one that maybe goes to the other side and tries to be as fair as possible <laughs> to the uh, to the FMCB. And the reason I want to do this is because you know a lot of these issues really come from the legislature. Yeah, and absolutely. and and if if we you know as as a country, a lot of times we complain about how there's this dichotomy between you know the pr- blue states get the elect get the president elected, and then red states give us our legislature. You know, in, in the U.S. and we have the same thing. That, that's writ large, but in Massachusetts we have the same thing where. Um, the the Massachusetts legislature is actually a little bit more even in the governor's race a little bit more conservative than a lot of than our capital city, and one of the problems that we have is is the way that it played out with with, with us finding out that we can have an increase of ten percent every two years on on fares and and the, the way that happened is that everyone in the legislature and everyone working in the legislature um, understood that going into the conference committee which was where you know the Senate and the House compromise on the different legislation they've written as far as the budget um, back in 2013 everyone going into that realized that we were we, we the intent was five percent every two years mm-hmm. and they changed one word annual and they put the annual next to the to the five percent to create ten percent and even coming out of that very few people including myself who who read you know the report out of the committee very few people noticed and and for some reason everyone who noticed seemed to stay quiet and I think the, the way this came out is that Nobody really realized that that happened. M- maybe a few legislators that were in the room, because remember, these are, these are delegates that go into the room in the conference committee. No one else has any real say on this. They report out to um, the president of the Senate and, and the Speaker of the House. But other than that, nobody really knows what's going on or has a lot of input once they get into that room. And so I think a few of them may have realized 
what they did or maybe they thought, oh, I wonder, you know, but they, you know what, we got the compromise. We, and that's what you need is the compromise because they always wait until the last minute and they're there like all night the last few days. So they get that compromise. And I think what really happened here is that the general counsel for uh, the MBTA or MassDOT uh, and probably the governor, they put their heads together and they start reading through the legislation, the actual budget legislation. They say, wait a minute, maybe we can do 10%. And I think this is how, how it actually came out. And so the frustration there is that the legislature, and so now we have the Financial Management Control Board, and they're tasked with figuring out a way out of this problem, and they've got a 200 to $300 million shortfall. And the only things they can do, the only levers they have are... Fares. Fares, and... <laughs> Ad, having alcohol ads now in the subway again <laughs> and and somehow like selling naming rights to stations and maybe value capture but they, they can't pull the value capture lever by themselves no. you know that that's a region-wide thing and the other option is go begging on their knees to the legislature well they're going to do that anyway mm-hmm. so the fares get them 10 percent um you know optimistically get them 10 percent of the, of the shortfall um if we're going to say somewhere between 20 and 40 million so i, I think to be completely fair what, what other options do they have now I'm 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 against the <laughs> raising the fares uh, in in these situations, at least, especially the ten percent. But you know what really bothers me about this about the uh, you know that this this idea when you talk about the fares and it's like it's almost like the fares you know it's like they're trying to prove to the legislature it's like they, it's what they've been doing they've been trying to like prove to the legislature that they're trying hard to cut costs, mm-hmm. which is like this it just goes to the point of this whole reform before revenue thing where it's like you know it's like we're trying to prove that we're reforming, um, whereas what I'm thinking is like where like what is reform? When does and, reform end? Yeah. How much right. of it do we have to do? What is it? What do you want? What are your metrics? Like, I, I don't... You're completely right. They're trying to prove to the legislature. And and it's, ev- it's even the governor trying to prove to the legislature because he doesn't set the budget. E- you know, so regardless if we've elected a governor who, you know, wants to, wants to cut taxes or increase taxes or whatever, you know, Governor Patrick wanted to increase taxes much more. And the legislature gave him uh, half of what he asked for. And then part of what they gave him was a software tax increase that was immediately rescinded as soon as, you know, everybody on this side of the river, we're in Cambridge right now, got really upset about it and on Route 28, Route 128. So it really all comes back to the legislature. Um, And and the legislature looks to what happens when the people vote down the gas tax increase. And that's where they get, you know, a lot of their ideas about what should happen with money. I don't want to. I don't want to blow that up too much, but maybe that com- comes back to the issue of of regional governance as a as a just general concept. Like, well, how how can we enable the region itself that is hurting for more transportation capital revenue raise some for the people who are willing to raise more money for the system that it needs to pay for, and actually. Uh, T4MA uh, and a few other groups are actually trying to push through some, or they're advocating for some legislation in the uh, in the legislature to ena- enable uh, a local local bond local bonding to be a thing that we can vote on because that's what that's what LA is doing. Uh, that's what a lot of other regions in the U.S. have started doing to enable the city centers to break out of that urban versus rural legislative state politics uh that that gets in the way of of capital funding um and actually now la is in the middle of of completing the all of the capital projects that got paid for with the measure uh measure r tax and now they're going back and they're saying well okay the measure r uh bonding tax is uh is is almost up it's almost expired now we need to we, we might go back to the, we're going to go back to the taxpayers and ask for measure r2 because uh this is a successful way to provide infrastructure that we need that the state of california just simply cannot pay for or is simply not willing to pay for and we're done with we're done with trying to do state politics we we need something for our city so uh, hopefully, because I mean, the biggest thing that gets in the way right now is one: we don't have regional regional government. Government, and that's something that we uh, uh, I got to talk to talk about again uh, at transportation camp. Uh, but also, um, if if we can't do it through governance, specifically through a regional government, then you know how can we enable our regions to come together and and do this? And so uh, that that bonding, uh, sorry, that legislature would legislate legislation, sorry, would allow us to raise regional taxes uh, based on say you know 
the city of Boston and the city of Cambridge and the city of Somerville and Newton and Brookline want to get together and raise our own sales tax that specifically goes to the MBTA. And, you know, uh, we're not allowed to do that right now. So there might even have to be. So right now we have, you know, the MPO that is the 101 cities and towns within the greater Boston, <laughs> which is roughly Route 128. Yeah. You, what you might even have to do is is break that down further yeah. um, because if you look at, okay, so L.A., it's a lot easier for them because they're a huge city. You know, Jared and I were both, um, you know, Jared and I are a match made in transit, mm-hmm. and we, did, we didn't meet before we both met each other in Boston at a Transit Matters event, but we're both from Oklahoma City. In fact, we lived probably seven miles apart, I if that. I think so, yeah. Growing up, and um, in fact, he went to the high school in the city that I was also in that school district. Um, but but that being said, um, you know, Oklahoma City is in their fourth round of sales tax increases to pay for, among other things, transit. They've funded a lot of things, but it's a, there, there's, the whole city is the size of the greater Boston area. So they can – the people in the city can decide we want something and they can pass it, and that's sort of like the whole region. And when they put together a regional transit authority, which they have done now for commuter rail, there's only six um, towns that are participating, and that would be sort of as if – Boston and Cambridge and Somerville and Brookline all got together and decided to make decisions, which would probably be very different decisions than if you also include Woburn and Lynn right. and you know Norwood right. and because there are capital the assets. Shore yeah, right. there are capital assets in the M- at the MBTA that specifically either run through their either run through their municipalities or uh, hugely benefit them and not necessarily Woburn. So enabling them to levy a ta- levy any tax, I, I don't know, sales tax is the, the popular one, but uh, as I'm sure we've discussed at other points, it's a regressive tax because, you know, uh, we can get into details. Well, if, if anything good comes out of yeah. the, the Green Line extension um, problem, <laughs> <laughs> it would be that we finally figure out how to crack the nut of value capture yeah. Yeah. because we, ha- we haven't done that before, and it, it's, it's really a shame because our system was built on value capture. When, when the streetcars were built, mm-hmm. it was the developer said, I've got this land to develop, and I'll build a streetcar. And the streetcar, it wasn't to make a profit running transportation. It was to sell the land out there. And, you know, then, of course, later they dealt with operational costs and and found out that they, <laughs> the developers didn't really want to run streetcars. And so, you know, we ended up consolidating things. But we, we haven't tried to crack that nut since yeah. the 1890s. It's a shame that it didn't happen because that's, that's the model that a lot of uh, – a lot of – transit operations works on in in asia like japan and uh hong kong and i think even even taiwan um the the idea that transit is a thing that is good for developers like you know imagine imagine boston properties saying okay we'll we'll buy the green line or we'll subsidize it somehow um or we'll we'll buy green line operations from you if you if you help pay for at least a little bit of the capital operations, but we will throw more of our operating uh, our revenue from the buildings that sit on top of the green line, and we will put that back into the green line to make sure that that property is valuable for the people who work in that building. That's how it works. It doesn't I mean, even have to be that complicated. It could just be, you know, like why like why are all these develop all these developers that are building luxury condos all over Somerville and like. Why? Why isn't there like a one percent tax or five yeah. yeah. or whatever? Well, and yeah. a lot of them have have come forward and, and have said like you know we, we, we want to make it happen <laughs> like you know like you know we need we need to figure out you know and and there was actually a, an article I think in the Globe about that last week about you know they wanted to sit down with um uh, with with the mayor of Somerville and, and you know iron out some some clear uh, guidelines as to what they were going to get out of this arrangement but that you know the the folks in Somerville I mean they've got these condos um, going up or, or halfway done. Um, you know, in and around Union Square and Ball Square, and so you know the the appetite is out there. I mean, you know, Boston Properties is already, you know, doing some things with with Back Bay Station. So, um, you know, it's it's you know, hopefully the conversation doesn't have to you know doesn't have to be too much arm twisting because I think there's a lot of developers that you know that, that realize that you know I mean I just got out of you know Kendall Square Station and you know I mean it's you know there's barely any room on the platform and so they realize that if they're going to build you know multi million billion dollar you know investments that the transportation system has to be adequate yeah. we're n- and we're, we're not even we're barely scratching the surface on on the ca- the capacity of some of these lines i mean modern yeah. modernized signal systems modernized power systems you could have 
Uh, oh my god! I was so I was at uh, Dulles International Airport yesterday, and there was a sign at the gate at the terminal station saying, "Flashing, uh, trains come every two point five minutes." And it was uh, granted; it's also a brand new system. The Aero Train—that's the shuttle, uh, the the underground uh, people mover between all of the different terminals. Uh, but that's—I I don't know—that's that was refreshing in a way that was just. Uh, I don't know. Seeing seeing the reality of of a, a fully automated system that was two point five minute headways was just. <laughs> it's kind of like you know. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of. I mean, obviously, it's not the same. You know, not two and a half minute headways. But right. I mean, when I when I was in in Minneapolis and. You know, you're, you know, Mark's looking at me with a strange face because he's like, they don't run frequent headways, and that, that's correct. <laughs> but um, but they have a light rail line now. They have two. And, and it's like, you know, I, I used to take it in the winter, in the middle of winter, when it was like below zero, and there was piles of snow everywhere. And the thing runs, and it might be a minute late or something, but it just runs. There's no signal problems. There's no, you know, track. There's no disabled trains. It just runs. And, <laughs> you know. It and even we runs think, 24 hours a day. One um, of them. One of the, but not the, oh, yes, the new line, mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, good point. And, um, and so... But we we have here is, is serious capacity issues that don't that aren't even included in this seven billion dollar backlog, right? Um, which I think should be. I mean, when you're going to talk about capital needs, I mean, we really need to talk about the future. We can't just talk about getting it up to running how it was designed in the '80s. Green line signal systems. I mean, that's a seven hundred. That last we had a quote on that, I think that was 2013. That was seven hundred seventy five million dollars for full implementation, and then we would only be able to get we would only be able to eke out. Uh, ma- well, actually, that was required to just maintain the same uh, capacity on the green line because there's also safety issues. Uh, not, you know, not to not even to bring up the uh, the fact that we have on a daily basis to deal with signal issues on the red line. Drivers having to turn off the safety system, protecting riders from like issues. Yeah, that yeah. right there, it's like that incident should have been the catalyst for like, oh my god. We're going to upgrade the signals like right now. Nothing would have happened. So uh, nothing, nothing happened today. I mean, nothing happened in this instance because, uh, for for better or for worse, the agency was able to spin it such that you know they were able to convince people that they were not in mortal, mortal danger and that the issue was on the the onus of the uh, of the tr- runaway train was on the operator for failing to override the safety system the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, mean, I, can I ask this question though? I mean, why why can the and, you know I often say this? I don't I don't know if I've said this you know in the podcast, but like why can't the T stand up for itself? Like why does the T always have to say, oh yeah, you know we're short, yeah it's safe, it's safe, don't worry about it. And like with this runaway well, crash, it was like don't worry, we fixed it. It's well, like why can't they say like we have serious problems here and we need help? Do you want to know why? Because yeah, Beverly please. Scott. Beverly Scott, actually, so she was, she uh, going back to transportation. Camp, Great she segue. Was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She was one of the uh, one of the sessions, the third session. She was a surprise speaker. I didn't even know that she was going to be there. Uh, I didn't even know she was in the room. I don't think she might have been there for breakfast or lunch. Um, but she was the first session after lunch. Uh, and it was titled GM versus, or CEO, and Transit CEO versus The Advocate. Uh, and it was speaking on the, her experience between uh, at, at MARTA, actually, in, uh, which was her job before the MBTA, and dealing with the pressures of, um, of working, with, working with the advocates and, and how much the advocates need to work with the CEO and this, that, and the other thing. But, but uh, I'm just going to quickly go back to Bev Scott herself. Uh, her claim to fame with lay people with pe- with amongst us and other people was that she was able to she was there and we brought her in she was basically the fixer the fixer and somehow the MBTA was the thing the system she could not fix uh she was supposed to be there for a full 3 years i think or uh, that was the term i guess that that she had agreed to she was uh she even said um you have me i am a gm that doesn't stay i you have me for 5 years and i fix the system and then i leave and that's it uh but at her she was made famous because of that one press conference that she held sometime in february the day before she left and she was able to speak candidly to the press and she spoke very candidly about how you you guys brought me in you the commonwealth of massachusetts you brought me in you had a problem and then you had to give me the tools to fix it i can't fix it if you don't give me the tools i have people out on these tracks uh you know with pit- she kept saying with pitchforks <laughs> you know uh you know shoveling the snow 
breaking their backs, shoveling their snow manually because I don't have equipment uh, to, to do that on an automated basis. My trains are running. My trains are getting stuck as they're trying to clear the snow. We brought in the National Guard to help to fix the problem. Uh, and the governor, who works not even, you know, 700 meters away from my office, across the common, hasn't even given me a phone call. You need to fix the system. Remove Bev Scott from the, from the picture. You guys have a problem. And that's it. I'm out. Drop mic. Drop the mic. That was that was her. So she. So yeah, we can. Like nobody is gonna. Nobody is gonna. Nobody's come here. gonna fix this from the outside. We have to fix this for ourselves. But I, I'm I'm losing scope now. What were we talking about with with Bev Scott, the general manager? We, we were talking about why can't the tea stand up for itself? Oh, why can't the tea? So the tea can't, the tea can't stand up for itself because if you speak candidly like that, you're out. You're basically not going to have a job. And you're branded as the crazy lady. You're the crazy lady. Yes. Bev well, Scott it, it goes ha- crazy it on helped television. The, it helped with the fact that she was a black woman. When you say that, <laughs> that, that <laughs> people said she was crazy. Right. I, oh, my God. Yeah. She's, she's a black woman. She's an angry she's, black woman. She's yeah. going to you know, pull uh, her purse at, and throw it at me and attack me and blah, 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 blah. She's unreasonable. She has, and then they brought up the fact that she had, uh, she had issues with therapy and this, that, and the other thing. Like no one, like no one in government <laughs> or anywhere else has to go to a therapist to deal with the crap that you deal with at work. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think if, you know if, if if we think issues with legislature here, I mean, I think um, you know what she had to deal with with the the Georgia legislature. Mm. I mean, I, I would probably want to go to therapy too. <laughs> well, and, and she actually yeah. talk about um, kind of a a little uh, famous thing that she did there. I don't know if you know about this, but she had she talk about getting the advocacy side and the and the transit side to blend well. She. Um, had she was able to get her um, her employees, the bus drivers, um, to work you know off hours, and they were able to use um, buses, and they put an X oh, yeah, on the bus, right. and they had the bus drivers who These were off. These buses are going to get cut. These buses are going to get cut if the legislature uh, passes their budget, and they ran buses, empty buses with an with an X on them um, oh, nice. to show that. Yeah, and yeah. so she. I mean, she knows to you know how to how to you know make drive she, the message home. I she's mean, she's uh, deeply invested in these systems, and it. Oh, she started yeah. crying during one, not crying, tearing up as she was talking, as she was recounting uh, one uh, related to that one uh, one instance where she brought they brought in uh, this this girl who this one this young I think she said she was five years old she came in. And uh, she talked. Oh my God, I, I I'm choking up now. She she was talking about how this girl had to go in and talk to the legislature and say, I, if you cut this route, I'm not going to be able to. I'm not going to be able to do this, do that. She believes deeply that these are the people that, that that you care about. These people that the transit riders are a community of people, and that the transit serves them, and anything else is 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 beside the point and so uh it's it's really it, it's just really interesting to see somebody who's so dedicated and you can't you can't keep her around because of issues like that of it, state of politics it's interesting you mentioned that because this is exactly why i don't work for a public transit agency anymore <laughs> um <laughs> but but that's a whole other conversation i, I think that what's going to save us in the end is uh if if we um if it happens in time um is uh is a big flood yeah. I mean, we're going to get some serious climate event or peak oil or something, mm-hmm. whatever happens. And I mean, because by the time we get these cars in, yeah. by the time we actually get our acts together to think about this stuff, <clears throat> at some point we're going to get forced to right. do it, I think. I mean, I, I, I almost say – I don't want to say it <laughs> – it's a missed opportunity if the, that, that, red line, that runaway red line train – imagine if that had – if the folks – if the good folks over at the Operation Control Center hadn't t- put in – hadn't taken that – uh, that situation and and really con- really contained it. it. What if it had happened downtown or something, mm-hmm. and they didn't have enough time to stop that runaway train? If there were if there was a collision in the tunnel, and if you had something uh, something like that where the NTSB had to get involved, the FTA would be all over the MBTA, and you'd have a similar issue with uh, like what's going on with with Wamada, and maybe for the better, uh, you know. But, silver lining it's hard, yeah. to, hard to go down there now that I brought it down there silver lining I mean yeah. uh, but what do we do I mean what, yeah. what do we do now I mean now we got the you know now we got the, this this horrible situation there's like almost almost feels like there's no end in sight the yeah. T has proposed these fare increases which are assumed they're pretty much assumed to be a given mm-hmm. um, what what do we do now and um, what what's uh, well they asked us to tell us they asked us to tell them what we think so 
you know, I would I would advise you know everyone who's listening to you know follow find through a, with that and tell them what you think. Find a meeting. Find a meeting to go to and and say what? And go I mean, online even. If you just say no, 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 go like, online. What is that? I, you know, say say what I you know what, what I what I mentioned earlier that that you know we understand that fare increases you know might have to be part of the conversation, we but but that but that the the level of service has to rise as well. Yeah. You know that that, that if if you think that that the T doesn't have their financial house in order enough to go ask the legislature for more money, then they don't have their financial house in order, or they don't have their their maintenance in order to go ask riders for more money. Should we pull? Uh, should we pull a uh, demand more? Uh, make that make that the, the rallying cry for for the the fare increases. Demand more of your transportation. Uh, demand more of your our transit agency of your legislature of your. Uh, uh, I mean, because because really, we need what we need is more service. We don't need we don't need to be cutting it. Well, I think that's where roughly one of the if you if you read the um, position statement that that we've put out that uh, Jeremy yeah. authored, with input from us and and others in the group here is that. We're saying, okay, we don't think you should raise fares yeah. um, because of all these reasons, and it's not going to plug the gap anyway. But then we're also saying there's things that you can do around fares that will actually help increase ridership and increase revenue mm-hmm. um, with assets that are not currently at capacity, such as commuter rail. And one of the things we talked about is if you're going to increase fares, one of the ways you can give us more, if you can't give us more service um, in maybe the traditional sense, is you can allow our uh, commuter fares to have free transfers. Yeah. You can allow all transfers now, which, what is it, a one-hour window on the, on two the hours, transfer? Two hours, you get one transfer. So it could be unlim- unlimited transfers because people who have to take a bus might have to take a bus on the front end and the back end of their trip, so there's two transfers. So let's say unlimited transfers for two hours as opposed to just one transfer. Mm-hmm. And then we can also, and that also encourages people to run errands um, in the middle of the trip, which also uh, encourages more economic development and Main Street. Um, it, it helps businesses on Main Street, things like that. So so those are some of the things that we can say. We can also try to make sure that the fares line up better um, between commuter rail and um, MBTA bus and subway. Yeah. And that's to say that, that there's a, some way of validating that you paid a commuter rail fare and so you get the transfer. Um, so those are some of the things we can ask for. And we can think of very inexpensive ways to do that and by doing that we actually are getting more for your money you're getting a more these are these are things that we would want to do anyway we'd want to make our network more useful to people yeah because the power of the power of each individual lines comes from the network and not directly from where does where does the train go between these two points it's it's about the power of the network and that's why that's why service cuts and, and and network reductions are huge Root cuts are a huge reason why service why uh, ridership goes even further down because once you one, once you remove uh, all of those connection points and all of those places that that route connects, that's it. You you are you are then strengthening uh, losing. Sorry, <laughs> you are weakening the network even further because the network benefits from agglomeration. It, it benefits from the 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 further connection of points within each. Um, within the, the region. So. And I think as I think as constituents and as advocates, we also need to change the paradigm at the yep. T. Um, because right now we're just looking at, well, how do we, you know, increase fares to increase revenue. Mm-hmm. And one of the examples that, that I had used previously was, which I think is something, this role for transit advocates, and also an example that makes sense to most ordinary people who are um, not just taking transit but also driving is, if you remember uh, when the recession when the when the recession started back in two thousand seven two thousand eight, and American car manufacturers had one of the worst products in the world when it came to you know their cars, and so mm-hmm. they were basically of their own eating their eat, or ha- having they were dealing with the, the seeds that they had sown themselves without yeah. from from not renewing their product, and so when they got to that point, and there was a lot of other things policy wise that happened for cash for clunkers and things like that, but did Ford and GM say, "Wow, we're losing money. Maybe we should." Maybe, maybe we should. Well, well, maybe we should. Maybe we should. Yeah, right. Maybe, maybe we should make our cars worse and like use cheaper, cheaper products, and then charge more for it we until just, we <laughs> until we're profitable. Well, what you you know, and, and the goal isn't to be profitable, but but think about that. You know, yeah. like, there's other ways to increase revenue than just increasing the fares or or, or cutting at the bottom line. Like right. Yeah. Oh well, I guess we we also want to be cutting at the bottom line, but I mean, the the, the bottom line isn't just making it costless it's what efficiencies can you eke out of the inefficiencies to uh to reduce those costs because right right now we're not it doesn't seem like we're pursuing efficiencies so much as just trying to 
take budget items and saying, well, make that smaller arbitrarily by just, I don't know, maybe maybe we can solve the, the overtime issue by just simply not hiring more people, you know? How about that? An idea, so. <laughs> wish, wishful thinking, but I mean, one thing that one thing that I think is is often left out of the conversation is is how can we how we do some service planning? Like, let's take mm-hmm. a look at some of our services and see. Um, you know, right now the the analysis that's done is very superficial. So they look at the root yeah. level. They don't look at combinations of roots. They don't look at pieces of roots. They don't look at you know at, at time of day. You know, we talked about how late night service is is more productive than the 10 p.m. service in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, which is taken as a given, and so, uh, but but one of the so one of the ways you save money is you reduce your operating cost, and probably one of the biggest ways to reduce your operating cost is to uh, speed up the service. Yeah. Um, and one of the ways you do that is uh, by doing by allowing people to get on multiple doors so that you can get the train moving or the bus moving, so that mm-hmm. it's not sitting at the stop for five minutes collecting fares while people wait in line out in the rain and the cold and the snow. Um, and this is called all door boarding. Um, also, well, it, proof of payment is a, is a more uh, more advanced version. Um, I think what we're asking for at this point in time is would be all door boarding, which is basically a way to think of this is that if you have a pass or a valid transfer, you can get in the back door, and so you don't have to wait in line. Um, right. And you'd still pay cash in the front, but at least this would speed up the service. And we know that like twenty or thirty percent of the running time of the bus is spent literally sitting at the stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maybe that's something where, as transit advocates, we need to come to the Financial Management Control Board, or we just need to write a a letter saying, here's like 10 ways uh, that you can increase revenue um, by improving the service, getting more service out of the same um, capital assets. Maybe we can make it really popular, do it as a listicle, get BuzzFeed to get on it, (laughs) get some uh, critical mass around that. But no, I I, I agree. it's, It's important... It's important to drive these points home. If we keep saying these things, maybe if we just have five more podcasts and more people listen to this. Uh, it's the Fox News theory. If you say it a zillion times, it'll uh, become... <laughs> then it is true. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe maybe that does work. Uh, well, actually, going back to service planning, um, I don't want to turn this into a sudden... Uh, like free advertising for uh, for Remix, but if you recall, if you remember Transit Mix, uh, it was a project that came out of uh, uh, Code for America, which is th- this really wonderful program that connects uh, the capacity of of web developer of programmers and developers uh, with the civic needs and of the ci- the civic needs of of cities and states and municipalities to just uh, to renew. Because they're sitting on all of this data, and we need to find a way to make government more efficient. Um, they've developed this pro- this this piece of software that they de- that they demoed uh, actually at transportation camp as part of uh, this one of the sessions called uh, Startups on Parade, uh, and it was this really interesting. Uh, I mean, th- being able to sell this idea that that not only can you have the agency um, put plug in all the routes and pull data from uh, what is it? Uh, the census data. Uh, well, yeah, it's like a, it's a, it's a better way. It's like a, it creates a tool for people to do, you know, to envision different scenarios and yeah. to do some planning on a, on a sort of superficial level. So you're not, you know, you're not having to go and do build that, build everything out. You don't manually. have to rebuild the routes yeah. every single time and do a calculation. Because I mean, the the biggest opportunity with this software that they've actually gone to the MBTA to you know approach them and said, <laughs> you guys need to use this, uh, is that not only would it it would make it more efficient for the the operation staff to to uh, to envision these these new these new routes or even re envision the system um, without needing to spend a whole year. You know, doing all of these GIS uh, manipulations and, and calculations on what well, what's the what's the real net benefit here for these neighborhoods, and how many how many people are we uh, you know removing from the route, and what's our projected uh, ridership at the end of the day? So, uh, an interesting concept. And, and actually, when I spoke to uh, one of the developers, I, I can't remember if he's the creator of it, uh, but. Uh, he mentioned that also once once an agency pays for it, uh, then theoretically they can let other uh, other groups like the MPO or CTPS, which is the organization that. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, they. M- I was raising my hand. I was like, yes, us. like they call oh, it yes. us. Tra- Transit matters to to go in and envision, uh, use the tools to also envision 
to re-envision the roots in a way that makes it easier and more um, efficient to run them. So, yeah, I mean, this is like you know, it's one of the it goes to one of the reasons that I mean, there's many reasons that transit agencies are are very uh, hesitant to make changes um and you know it's often for good reason i mean mm-hmm. you, you have an impact on somebody we talked about the commuter rail schedules being a and you have a legal obligation to, to right. have hold public meetings where people will stand stand there and yeah. yell at you for hours and hours and hours so right you don't have a legal obligation to actually like listen to and, resp- and uh, actually like incorporate what people say <laughs> but you have an obligation to listen to it at least to be there present yeah. and <laughs> yes. you know subject yourself to doing that rather than being with your family so. yeah um, so, so everybody go to the meetings uh, and talk about transfers and let us know what you think. Um, you know, talk about some of these solutions and let us know your feedback because what we're really trying to do and, and we're going to be doing a lot of in the near future is uh, doing a lot of outreach to riders, talking to people and seeing what, you know, what are some of the, um, some of the issues that people want, you know, cause we all have our own ideas. You know, we use the system all the time and, um, you know, we use the buses all the time, which is a lot more than a lot of people in, in management who <laughs> plan the buses can, can often say, um, but, you know, we don't know everything, and, and we also, uh, you know, we want to see how different things would work. If people have concerns, we have we need to address. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're trying to, we really want to move some solutions here, advance some solutions, and not just um, specific ideas, but, but also just, just ch- sort of change the, the momentum. The momentum right now is, like, we got to cut the T because the T is inefficient. They don't know what to do. And we sort of need to move the momentum. Like, the transit can work for people. And uh, are, we, are we wrapping it up here, or? I think we have about five minutes to go. Five minutes. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to do a quick uh, recap also on the MARTA army. So these are the Ooh, so yes. going back to Please. going back to uh, Atlanta. <laughs> the MARTA army uh, is a group of people that also had their genesis at uh, a the transportation camp. I think of 2014, uh, where the MARTA CEO or somebody from MARTA went to transportation camp and said. What can we do? What can we do to help the riders? And it was just an open-ended statement. And so they went back to MARTA and, and got some feedback and talked a little bit about what what they could do. And, and what came out of it was MARTA Army. So it's a civic engagement platform, and they're, more, they're much more... Uh, they stay. They stay away from politics. Uh, they stay away from getting involved in these deeper ideas. And they're more about... Um, getting people out there to take ownership of the system, to return ownership to the to the riders and make people uh, feel like it's their system again so that they can care about it and uh, make it better. So one of their biggest, or their first platforms, uh, their first programs was the Adopt-A-Bus-Stop program uh, where they... Uh, you sign up and you say what bus stop you want to you adopt and then you go to a... I don't want to say an onboarding event. I've been using onboarding a lot, but it's a very corporate-sounding thing. Uh, it's one of their, their recruitment events. And then you not only get your bus stop, but then you your bus sign. They, they printed out schedules that were uh, that were water, waterproof uh, and, and weatherproof that you could put out at your bus stop uh, and actually improve the system. Uh, the next upcoming program that they have that they're about to deploy is uh, the... Uh, I guess the donate donates to buy your own street furniture for the system, and then they'd be working with the uh, with the municipality rather than Marta to to take over management and and uh, maintenance of that street furniture. Uh, and they also have a kudos program where they're again it's it's very positive reinforcement of the agency. They don't even they don't go anywhere near trying to criticize the system yet because they're trying to build. Uh, positive rapport with with Marta, uh, and and they they also said specifically that they are uh, they don't want to be an advocacy group because one of the questions came up, you know, do do you why why not now that you've got all of these people involved and that you've got this audience, why not get them to go to public meetings? Um, and and they're kind of staying away from that because of some of the advocacy, uh, the some of the inherent issues in being an advocacy group, I guess. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, 
Well, I was it, doing. I was looking this up. You know, doing a little reading before on this, yeah. and you know, because I'm not a professional advocate and, and all that. And, um, but you know, it, it's this is the kind of thing that it, it makes them more of a service than, mm-hmm. a, than an advocacy organization. Yeah, and and they actually their intent actually for the adopt a bus stop program is actually to turn a lot of this into a, a literal platform that you that's open source and that you can plug into that you can adopt and adapt for your own uh, advocacy. So you know maybe we'll play around with that idea of of you know having that as another arm to transit advocate uh, transit matters. Uh, advocacy. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you'll, maybe you want to pull that in as a as a thing that you uh, that you can work on. So, I mean, we've talked about something like this before. Yeah. You know, about things like this, about this this idea of uh, tactical urbanism. A lot of people yeah. call it like just you know get out there and do stuff. And um, and you know we've we, we've you know gone through and we've sort of like been like oh well you know if you go the stops the stops are very important but it feels sort of sort of little and you know yeah. in a way and there's there's it, different things. It's but. the small wins that they're working on. And actually, yeah. the gen- you know we'll. we'll Quick, quick uh, throwback to the origin story of Transit Matters, the brand. Uh, it, it started because, uh, and actually, for some reason, I thought Je- we had Rich Davey in today, but uh, got me week. thinking. The work that I, the, <laughs> the work that I did with with him and with his help as the new incoming general manager to fix the service advisories, which are now up in the system. Go go back not to even 2010, 2011. There was you you never saw a sign up in the system about a service at, about oh the red line is uh, is doing shuttle busing between Park Street and MIT because of this that and the other thing. Those signs exist because of the work that I did with uh, Rich Davy and his at the time gen, uh, director of op, uh, of innovation and special projects. But that didn't that wouldn't have happened if he hadn't plugged me into a way to change the system myself. So that's that's kind of. The, the power of tactical urbanism. I actually started putting up signs in the system because he said, well, I was, I was afraid of initially doing that because I didn't want to get in trouble with somebody because I knew that somebody, that people inside the T knew that I was the designer of this and that I was getting frustrated that nobody was listening and nobody wanted to change this and there was, there was no single person to talk to about how do we implement service advisories. So, uh, you know, the fact that they're now in a system today stands, stands uh, as a very concrete example of what of how tactical urbanism paired with uh advocacy and uh i guess i don't want to say backdoor deals because that sounds a little shady but like yeah working with the agency but also having somebody on the other side of the door willing to work with you and and looking to make a positive change where there are small wins is uh, can have a huge effect so yeah sounds good so get involved um do that stuff um we uh we are out of time so we have to wrap up here um you can find out more about us at transitmatters.info and you should go there because over there we have a lot of information we have position papers we have um you can find our twitter and facebook at transit matters and um also we have i just put a whole bunch of news up there so we can try to keep that uh, updated as well yep you can uh, not only can you sign up to volunteer and subscribe to our updates, but you can also donate uh, because we do uh, we do all of this. We are volunteering our time this evening uh, after our day jobs to get a lot of this done. Uh, and also, uh, I am also now the the one of the moderators of the MBTA subreddit. Uh, I promise to not turn the, the subreddit itself into an agenda in our platform, but. Uh, we would we'd love your input. Um, just it's another outlet for you to talk long form about these these very issues uh, that are that are present and that are <laughs> that are impending. Uh, there's uh, so that's mbta.reddit r e d d i t dot com. If you're already a redditor uh, and you don't know about the MBTA subreddit, go check it out. Tell your friends uh, and start new discussions. Post news, make it live, turn it into your into uh, into a place to talk about issues uh, where otherwise people were just posting in the the Boston subreddit. Uh, so you can also email us at, at feedback at transitmatters.info. We love here we love we always love hearing from fellow transit writers. Uh, and we have some exciting things uh, so uh, in the works. So stay tuned, including uh, beer and transit uh, on the twentieth. Though I don't know if <laughs> uh, if this will be up in time for anybody to hear before it's too late. Uh, but check out uh, transitmatters.info for registration information as well. Cool. And um, as for as for us, uh, I'm also an individual as well, um, as well as doing all this work. Um, and so you can follow me 
at Critical Transit. Uh, I'm Jeremy, by the way, in case you didn't remember that. And you can also follow me, Mark, at Digital SciGuy, uh, in addition to the Transit Matters uh, main Twitter handle. Cool. This is Jared, and I tweet at J-A-R-J-O-H. And I'm Josh, and you can follow me at Hatchback31. And thanks again for listening, and uh, go to transitmatters.info and stay tuned and get in touch, uh, because Transit Matters. Happy New Year. Do you want to talk about New Year's resolutions? Does anybody have them real quick before we uh, wrap up? I will continue taking the tea. I don't know. I don't <laughs> do we have Do we have time? Are we supposed to be out of here at 7.30? We need theme music, because in my head, the uh, the outro to... Um, yes, we need theme music, definitely. To, uh, what song, or what podcast is that? Welcome to the Transit Matters Podcast, episode 22. We're not ready yet. Okay. twenty. Is it 22 or 23? It's 22 because I haven't uploaded the other one yet. Okay. Welcome to the Transit Matters Podcast, episode 22. Today is January 11th, 2016. And uh, we are, the Transit Matters is a show that uh, brings you analysis, uh, critical analysis of transportation and public transit in uh, Greater Boston. Um, And that was terrible. I'm going to start that over because I suck. Welcome to the Transit Matters Podcast, episode 23. No? Yeah, if you want to just keep bullshitting, I'm just mm-hmm. recording. Yeah. Good levels. Blah, 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 the key blah, thing blah, to blah. point out will be the, the you, comparison you of, um, or contrast of yeah. fare increases uh, since 1991 yeah. versus yeah. gas tax yeah. increases, as tweeted by Ari and, yeah, um, and Jeremy. And Jeremy, yeah. yeah. To be honest, I'm getting fare hike fatigue, so I mm-hmm. leave that conversation up to you. Okay, everybody ready? We gotta uh-huh. get going. Yep. All right. Okay, three, two, one.